are in a series called Words, and what we're talking about is uh, the idea that God has uh, instilled us with this powerful either weapon or powerful tool or whatever you want and called our mouth. And if you have been around um, enough, you have probably wounded people with your words and you have probably helped people with your words and you've probably had people wound you with words and um and that you have wounded others with words last week um i preached a sermon that probably got more feed i got more feedback it was probably in the top 10 so i've been doing this for 16 years and uh I got a lot of response. It was on gossip, and I redefined gossip to include basically everything. And so uh, um, it's really, I I don't normally promote my own sermons, um, but if you missed it, I would go back and listen to it. As a matter of fact, I'm probably going to go back and listen to it and go, why did that get so much feedback? Uh, Anyway, so this morning, what we're going to be talking about is something very encouraging, And so uh, if you feel like, uh, uh, you know, like, hey, man, last week was, I'm really trying not to gossip. I'm really trying to use my words for good. I'm going to give you six ways this morning to be able to bring life and freedom and encouragement to those around you. So uh, we'll have a little slide on here, but I want you to turn your cell phones on, okay? Now, you can put them on silent mode, and if you don't know how to do that, forget what I just said about turning your cell phones on, and uh, go home and learn how to do that. Um, But if you do have silent mode, turn your cell phones on, because we're going to use them during uh, this sermon. We're going to play Candy Crush. No, we're not. We're going to, uh, we're going to use them. But here's, here's the context of which we're talking about. Jesus said this, a good person brings good things out of the good stored up in their heart. The evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. So how do I bring those evil things out? How do I bring those good things out? And he says this, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's what this whole series is about. So if you've said something to somebody and you said, I didn't mean to say that, what you really mean to say is, I didn't mean for you to see that part of my heart. But they did, and you did. And while that might be discouraging to you, it's actually really encouraging. Because if you think about it, everything important, we want to know the truth about. If I go to the doctor and I have a cancerous growth and and he basically just says, no, that'll be fine, then I can't operate on it. It, When he says, hey, you've got stage whatever cancer, it's right there, we need to get to it right away, and we need to get it fixed because your health is important, you'd say, thank you, doc. Well, in the same way, when your mouth spews out stuff, and you go, wow, where did that come from? It came from your heart, and you can say, thanks, Lord, I need to work on that, right? So what I'm going to do this morning is give you some great ways to use your mouth for positive instead of negative. So what we've been talking about is this fact that in order to control your tongue, you have to control your heart. That's not your heart. That's your stomach. I don't know why I pointed to it. In order to control your tongue, you need to control your heart. Um, And so that's what we've been talking about. And the verse that we've been memorizing, hopefully, is this. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. 
right? Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the doors or the door of my lips. It is a great prayer to pray every day, every Zoom call, every response on Twitter, every response on Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Psalm 141, three. All right. So uh, if you know anything about me, I uh, played soccer my whole life. And when I uh, had kids, I started coaching soccer. I've coached 14 soccer teams uh, over, over the course of my uh, parenting. And uh, I don't do it now because they're not my kids. And I don't really like children anyway. And so, no, I'm kidding. But uh, so basically the way I coach is this. I, I look at the entire team as a team and I really focus on the bottom quarter of the team. Getting those kids who feel insecure, who feel like they, don't, they can't play, to get them to be able to play soccer to the best of their ability. And what that always means, every year I lose the first game. Always. I've, I don't think I've ever won a first game at any year. So... My idea is if we can just use that first game to show them, look, when we play the right way, we do well. When we don't, we don't. And the thing I really try to incorporate is our best player is not going to be the reason we win. It's going to be the team. So what typically happens is we start playing soccer. So one year I was coaching my son, Jesse, and uh, I'm all great. Everything's great. I got my theory on, how, you know, lose the first game, no big deal, make sure everybody understands, pass to space, all this stuff, all the things that I say. So we start this game, and uh, like within two minutes, they score. Okay, 1-0. My kids, don't worry about it. We're not this game. Don't worry about it. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. 2-0, two, two like within the first quarter. You don't use quarters, but in AYSO you do. Okay, so first quarter, two, nothing. Three, nothing. Okay, so now what ends up happening, just so you know the dynamic, parents are unique animals, okay? They have expectations, and they have things for their kids um, that, you know, every single one of those kids is going to end up playing in the Olympics. If I just would coach better, they're going to play in the Olympics. Four, zero. I'm like, kids, don't worry about it. It's halftime. Here we go. We're going to regroup. I'm going to explain to you what's going on. Halftime's over 5-0. Parents are starting to freak out. And here's here's how parents uh, coach from the sidelines. This is what they do. And if you've ever been to a kid's soccer game, you've seen this before. Here is top-tier parenting, top-tier coaching from the sideline. Run! 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 Kick it! 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 That's parenting. That's what they do. So 6-0, it's just going. Parents are losing their collective mind. 6-0. I'm starting to lose my mind. Because my big theory about lose the first game, like, yeah, lose the first game, like 5-4 or 0-1 or something. But 6-0... 7 0 is what that game ended with. People, literally, parents wanted my job that I volunteer for, okay? 
So we go through the whole thing. What, what's my temptation? My temptation is to shame them. Because shaming is a very powerful tool. And maybe you've had this happen to you, where someone, a coach, a teacher, a parent, somebody in power, the way they wanted to control you, the way they wanted to make you do what they wanted you to do was to shame you. And sometimes it works. Here's what we're going to look at this morning. Shaming is not effective long term. This is why when you look at Jesus, he never shamed anybody. He'd argue. He'd point things out. He wasn't always positive and cheery and rainbows and skittles. He wasn't always that. He'd tell the truth, and sometimes the truth hurt, but he never shamed. The reason we shame is because of fear and insecurity. We fear, and so we shame. We're insecure in our own skin. I was getting very insecure that they're going to think that I'm a bad coach. When that happens in that heart area, they're going to think, what if they think I didn't do anything over the five weeks leading up to that first game? Uh, and then the temptation is to go, hey, what are you kids doing? How, how come you're not doing anything we talked about? Well, because it's their first game. They're nervous. They're just doing what their bodies would normally do. It's not their fault. And yet the temptation to shame is present. The temptation for us to shame on social media is very present. We have the name Boomer, right, which is negative when we say, okay, Boomer, okay, Karen. I read a new one, okay, Zoomer. Zoomer is, you know, kids who are just on, I don't know, I don't, whatever. We have all sorts of them. I heard the other, I heard lib, well, anyway, it was a word for liberals that was uh, derogatory. And the reason we do that is because we get amped up and we get frightened and we're insecure and we feel like lashing out and shaming would be a great way to relieve the pressure that's going on in our heart. Shaming is not effective long term. One of the things I used to do as a coach was I tell the parents from the very beginning that we'd have a game of silence and I'd hand out lollipops <laughs> to each of the parents. And this game, they're not allowed to talk. They're not allowed to do anything but encourage. You're not allowed to say, run, run, kick it, kick it. You're allowed to say, nice kick. You're allowed to say, way to go, way to be aggressive, good shot, nice try, but you can't say anything else. And if you do, you have to put the lollipop in your mouth and you have to be quiet for the rest of the game. Every year, it's our best game. Every year. You know why? Because shaming is not effective. You shame somebody, you might be able to get them to perform for just a little bit, but not for long term. Now, let me just say one thing before we get into all these examples we're going to have and all the ways that we can do the opposite of this. Oftentimes, the people that shame us the most are us. Sometimes we think if we can shame ourselves enough, then we'll, we'll change. In recovery, we call it the cycle of shame. And what happens is you feel shame about something you've done, whether it's pornography or you drank too much or you just pick whichever social thing and you feel bad about yourself and you begin to shame yourself. 
And you think that if I shame myself enough and I put myself down enough, then I'll change. And you do for a short time. And then you start to feel bad, and so you engage in whatever activity it was, and it makes you feel bad, and so you just begin this spiral. And so the medication to medicate your shame is actually the very thing that brings you shame. It's called the cycle of shame. You can look into it. If you've been in recovery, you're like, oh, I told you, AA, you know, you know whatever, NA, whatever. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. It's the cycle of shame. Well, shaming is not effective long-term. Look what Proverbs says. It says this, a generous person will prosper, okay? Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. If I can somehow begin to change the way I look at my heart, the way I begin to look at others, the way I look at myself, then I can begin to bring refreshing, which is really good long-term being able to take care of people. So like I said, we'd have a slide, turn your cell phones on. Uh, probably the best place for you to be if you want to be in an app is either your messaging app. Uh, if you're in an iPhone, you got messages. If you're in some other off-brand wacky thing like Android or some weird kind of destructive satanic thing, you can, you can yeah, of course. See, that's what I'm talking about. Um, then uh, find your messaging app. Maybe, maybe it is Facebook or, you, or Instagram or whatever. It could be on any of those. For those of you who are on Facebook Live, you can just stay where you are. Okay. Look what the Bible says because this is the alternative to shame. It's basically the opposite. Therefore, encourage one another. Build up one another. And then look what Paul does. This is so cool. He models it. He says, encourage and build up just as you're doing. You guys are awesome at this. Good job. I had to go back to those kids and manufacture, or not manufacture, but just kind of think of, okay, we lost seven to zero. Telling them that that's unacceptable, they already know that. Okay, they know to lose seven zero is not the goal. They don't need to be shamed into knowing that. They know it. I have to go back and go, what I appreciated about the loss was this, this, and this. Because they're going to forget the loss. At orange slices, they're going to forget the loss. They don't care, right? Encourage one another. Build, one up, uh, build up one another just as you're doing. You're doing it. Now keep it going. Keep it going. Hebrews says this. But encourage one another. Listen to this. This is so cool. Day after day. Okay, well, how long? As long as it's called today. What day is it today? It's today. Which, should you encourage someone today? Why? Because it's called what? Today. As long as it's called today. When we stop calling it today, then maybe there'll be a problem. But right now, we call it today. That's your job today. Isn't that cool? You say, well, I don't even know what to do. John, I've been a, I've been a Christian for, for one, one hour. Oh, I know exactly what you should do. Encourage one another. Well, what days? Today and every day is what Hebrew says. Why? So that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You go, what does sin have to do with encouragement? Well, if you're living a life that's not encouraging or not being encouraged, then you go back to the circle of shame, the cycle, and you begin to live your life in fear and insecurity, and in fear and insecurity, out comes shame. I'll give you an example. Your kid's going to school. Hair's all a mess. 
You say, I got to comb your hair. You got to comb your hair. You got to comb your hair. Why does the person have to comb their hair? Because you'd look bad as a parent. That's really the reason if we're honest parents, right? I mean, come on. Let's be honest. My kid goes to school, looks all ratty and everything. It's a reflection on me because of my insecurity, because of my fear. Then I shame them. You never take care of yourself, whatever it is. Insecurity and fear. This is why online, we think if we send a meme out that shames a certain belief, we feel better about ourselves. But is it effective long-term? Actually, that's not effective short-term. Because you can have the greatest meme in the world, and the people that don't believe what you believe aren't changing. (laughs) You're not going to change them. You're not doing any good. It's not working. That's not how people change. They don't change through shame. Short-term they might, but not long-term. So, I'm going to give you six ways that you can encourage others, okay? And so you can write all six down. You can start doing it even while I'm preaching. If I, you get to one, you go, and, and the Lord puts someone on your mind that you hadn't thought of for a while, just while I'm talking. You can go back and watch it later, too. It doesn't matter. You just go, hey, I just wanted you to know whatever. If everybody this week, within the sound of my voice here or online, does what I'm about to ask you to do, it's going to go better. Okay, here we go. First thing, spontaneous encouragement. This is just, you know, you see somebody, they are, uh, I was at the store the other day, and um, this woman pushed her empty shopping cart from the end of the parking lot all the way back to the parking lot to put it back right? That person needs to be, hey, I saw what you did. That was really cool of you. Thanks for doing that. It cost me nothing. Made their, well, I don't know if it made their day. They might have been like, who's the creepy guy talking to me? Is he picking up on me? Like, no, I wasn't. Okay, so, but, but, right, just real simple, just spontaneous. I noticed what you did. If you're in a relationship, whether it's spouse or anything very close, this is huge for your relationship. I noticed that you took out the trash. I noticed that you swept. I noticed that you did this or that. It's really cool. We talked about the verse I'm going to show you last week. Don't let any old wholesome talk come out of your mouths. Okay? Again, what we talked about last week, that's not just cuss words. Okay? All right. Just, it's just anything empty. But what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit them. Just right off the bat. Now, don't make stuff up and don't, you know, but just find, just be on the, just switch from internal to external. It's very simple. And you, you have tons of examples. So the way you'd look at this spontaneous encouragement is maybe you'd be praying or you'd be thinking or you're just listening to my voice and you go, you know what? I'm going to encourage my spouse, my kids, Maybe you just text your kid. I'm really proud of you. I just, I brag about you all the time. You're amazing. Spontaneous. Is it helpful for them? Of course it is. Is it building them up? Absolutely it is. According to their needs. Maybe somebody's talking to you about a a deficiency in their life. And you just go, you know what? Can I just stop you real quick? You're not speaking truth right now. Because actually you're really good at this, or you 
you know, or you've made so, don't look at where you have to go. Look at how far you've come. That is long-term help. And the Bible is all filled with that. Jesus' ministry is filled with that. Just encouragement. Secondly, the scripture. Now, I want to be really clear on this uh, because for many of us, we don't, when we, when we think about following Jesus, we don't feel like we know as much scripture as we should. And that's fine, but it should never debilitate you to sharing what's in scripture. I'll give you an example. Uh, what ends up happening after you accept Christ and you're in an institutional religion, like, like the institution, we put heavy loads on people about scripture. Like you have to remember, like set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips, as, as uh, Proverbs 141.3, okay? Who cares if it's Psalm 141.3? Honestly. Like you can encourage people with scripture without knowing where it is. People, actually, most people don't really care. And so you'd say something like this. You know what I've been working on today? I just, and, and I know what, like, let's say someone talks to you, man, I, I just keep blurting out stuff. You know what? I do the same thing. Let me encourage you with what's in the Bible. God says, and I'm going to butcher this on purpose. God says, man, I need to set something to watch my mouth. I need, I need, I need like, God to, like, put a, like, lock the door of my mouth. I completely butchered and misquoted the scripture. But did I get it right? Yes. Did the person go, where's that found? If you can't point to it, I won't believe you. You need to find it. Where is that? What book is that? Bible is that? Like, nobody does that. So be at peace. When I say you can use scripture, be at peace. You don't have to know where it is. You don't have to be able to find it. You don't have to be able to anything. Do you know what's in the word? Do you know it was Jesus? Do you know what? It, are you getting close? That's all you have to do. Now, at some point, yes, get better in, in Scripture. Here's what it says. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, which basically is the entire Bible, okay? So that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, hey, I'm going through this thing. You know what? There's a guy in the Bible who went through that. I blew it this weekend. You know what? There's a person in the Bible who blew it, and God restored that person. I don't know exactly where it is, but he had done some things that were really, really bad, and yet God, through repentance and through community, he was reestablished. You've just used scripture without having to be all, you know, perfect at it. Be at peace. You can use scripture and not know it to the exact letter. Now, if you're teaching or you're like in a place of authority, you better have it nailed down because you're teaching people, right? But, but if not, if you're just in communication with people, encourage them through the word. Maybe this week you just come up with three really encouraging verses. So maybe, maybe in, in, as you're doing your cell phone experiment, maybe you just send them a scripture. Maybe it's just Proverbs 141.3. And then they, they can look it up. It's called Google. It's really not that big of a deal. And they'll find it. So you can use scripture. That we might have hope. There's hope in the scriptures. All through the scriptures. There's examples, stories, proverbs, psalms, poetry. Maybe that's how you learn is through poetry. All of the psalms is poetry. Right? Maybe it's through stories. 
Stories all over the Bible. Use scripture to encourage. Number three is shared faith. This is really cool. You can encourage people as you grow. There is always someone who's growing behind you. And there's always someone ahead. And when I get to see someone ahead of me, I get encouraged. And when I get to help someone behind me or encourage them, I get encouraged. He who refreshes or she who refreshes will herself be refreshed. There's this really neat um, community of faith where we're supposed to, as we're growing, be pulling along and being helped along. This shared faith. Let me talk real quick. We're going to have baptisms on October 24th. I'm still trying to figure out if we, how we do this with our online community, but I, I'll get to that. I'll figure that out. But one of the great things about baptism is for the person being baptized. There's no doubt. That is a symbol of you saying, I am dying with Christ and I'm going to be raised to walk in newness of life. That's what, that's what baptism is. Baptism is you are stating publicly, I'm in. This is it. You think this is what happens every time. I tell someone, well, you need to kind of share your story. Oh, I, Pastor, I can't share my story. I can't share my story. I get so nervous talking in front of people, right? And I get it. I get nervous every Sunday. Like I've probably preached 500 sermons. I still get nervous. It's just, it's normal because you feel like you're being judged because you're up in front. But when you get baptized, it is so encouraging to other people to see, hey, I've seen that person around. They're just like me. They don't have it all together and yet they're, they're there and there's the baptismal behind me. They're there saying, I'm ready. I'm ready. So if you want to get baptized, don't let fear and insecurity stop you from encouraging the body of Christ, right? It's our shared faith that brings a lot of encouragement, a lot of encouragement. Here's what it says in Romans. This is so cool because Paul's talking to this church in Rome. He says, I long to see you. I'm just dying to see you. Why? So that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. And you're like, well, that makes sense. He's Paul. He's an apostle. He's super smart. I'm not. Great, Paul, what do you have? Oh, that you may be established. That is that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith. Isn't that beautiful? Each of us by the other's faith. You say, John, John, you don't understand. I, I just accepted Christ 26 seconds ago. I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged that you began this journey with Christ and I know what it's like to walk a long time following Jesus and I know what it's like to fall and I know what it's like not to feel like you're worth it and I know what it, all that's like and if I don't, I know someone who does and let's do this together. Shared faith is such an encouragement. Maybe to your cell phone or social media or whatever, maybe it's just a note. Hey, I've just noticed you've really come a long way, or whatever it is, or, or this. This is really important. Let's say you're, you've been a Christian for a long time. Just your ability to stand in front of people and go, yeah, I'm, I mess up too. Here's, here's where my issue is. So encouraging. Anyone can do these things. I gave you three things. All three you can do. I don't care if you've known the Lord for just a short time. What I'm asking you to do. Notes. 
This, is, this could be a postcard. It could be an actual letter that you write by hand, which I cannot do because my hand cramps after one paragraph because I haven't written anything for, since I was like 13. Everything's typed. So maybe it's a tweet. Maybe it's a Facebook thing or however you get to somebody. It's just a note out of the blue. Watch what it says in Acts. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. They posted it. Right? They, they said, hey, this is what's going on. When they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Somebody had sat down, had taken the time to say, I see you. I notice you. And I appreciate you. And there's something about getting it personally that Scripture knows about, that your Heavenly Father knows about. And all of it's designed to remove that fear and insecurity so that we're not shaming one another. I just want to talk just real quickly. I'm not putting down any church or denomination, okay? But some churches are built on shame. Your job is to come here, sit down, listen to me shame you, and you leave going, yeah, I'm terrible at this stuff. Come back next week, right? That's just not us, right? And I, I don't, I think for the short term, it's okay. At some points, you got to go, guys, we're not doing it right. Let's go. And there is a time for that. But mostly it's like, okay, where are we and where are we going? And notes, notes are just really cool. S several of you sent me um, an email, a text, and a DM about last week's sermon. Now, I'm not fishing for compliments, but nah, it was really encouraging. <laughs> so trust me, it was really nice. And so I responded in, in kind of just like that really helped me, right? Well, imagine, it helps all of us. We just have to do it. That's, uh, what, is, what number is that, four? Five, connectedness. Ah, this is really cool. This goes with number six, but um, it, 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 it really establishes what we're trying to do here in small groups, um, in gathering uh, on a Sunday morning, uh, Wednesday nights, as Pastor Keith was talking about, we're starting um, in the book of Matthew, and your app that you're going to have will have your reading plan on it. And so on day one, you'll read whatever it is on day one and day two. Each week, there'll be five, five readings. Because I have five fingers. I don't know why I did this. Uh, five readings. And why you say, you say there's, there's seven days in the week. Because we're not going to kill you. Five readings. You got two days to catch up. On Wednesday night, we get here. We all sit around and we go, what did you see in the book of Matthew? It's super chill. 6.30 to 8. We can break up into groups. We can do whatever. But if you've ever been like, I don't understand the Bible. I don't think, how come people understand the Bible better than me? Go on Wednesday nights, starting on October 14th. We just come, you read. Maybe in your Bible, you're like, this doesn't make sense. Maybe you're like, I don't like Jesus right now. That's fine. Jesus is totally cool with that. He'll be fine. Uh, whatever it is. And then we get together and we just talk about the word. Connectedness. There's something about being together. I'm working on trying to figure out how we can do this online for our online community to join us. Um, I just want to make sure it's safe because once you open up online, 
Uh, you never know who, who you're going to get. But I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly. Why would you send Timothy? They're at church. They're doing fine. So that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Sometimes it just takes being together, right? Um, and so kind of going back to that Romans. Timothy's talking about Paul. Um, um, and then the church is, uh, Timothy's finding out about the church with Paul. There's this connectedness. In Colossians, he says the same thing. Same Timothy. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. There's something about being together. So like for those of you who are watching online, it may feel like you're, because you're not here, you're not part of what we're doing. You absolutely are. But what I would encourage you to do is to find a group of people, maybe it's, a, if you don't feel comfortable yet, maybe it is on a Zoom or whatever, but people that you are with that can discuss this stuff. There's something about being connected. And so if you're struggling with that or you need something like that, email me and I will uh, just john at livingspring.com, super easy, and I will help you get into a group. But there's something about connectedness. And finally, presence. Presence is an encouragement. Maybe, I know this is on speech, but I wanted to add this one because it's really important. Because sometimes the best speech is no speech. The best thing to say in the moment that really fits the need of the moment is nothing. I have a friend. Uh, we've done ministry together. So I've been here. In November, it'll be 16 years. And then I was at my old church, Light and Life, for 10. So I've been doing ministry with this dude for 25, 26 years. And so when I first became pastor, I came out of business. And I didn't know how to be a pastor at all. Still working on it. Uh, and so I'd go. I had to do a hospital visit because that's what pastors do. I didn't know. I mean, I knew, but I just didn't know. And so I, I'm like, I'm driving there, bro. How do you do a hospital visit? Like, what, like what, ver, what are your go-to verses? Just text me the references. I'll find, I'm going back and forth. What do I say? What are you, you know, I, don't think the per, I don't think the person's going to make it. Like, how do I do? Do I tell them they're not going to? Like, what do I do? What, what, what do I do? Like, I'm not a doctor. I, he says, stop. Stop. Don't say anything. Just be present. I'm like, that's not going to work. <laughs> like, don't do anything. I kind of get paid to do something. Like, that's my job. Don't do anything. Just be present. It's the best advice in the world. If you're in the hospital and I visit you, don't expect me to say anything. Now, I might if we engage. But my job there and your job is to be present. We just had a wedding not too long ago. And uh, it was really important that those people were there. We didn't ask them their opinion. We didn't say for somebody in the audience to stand up and quote something or give. No, just your presence is such an encouragement. Your presence here or online is a huge encouragement. That means you got up, you got dressed, you got here, or you, you, especially those who are online with all the distractions you can have, you chose to be a part of this. That's a big encouragement to us. That's a big encouragement to each other. When you're here, you have no idea how much it encourages those who are here. It's huge. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, 
for he who promises faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. This is to encourage. This word considered to uh, stimulate is to spur on. It's almost like, uh, well, it is like you would, like the horse is just sitting there and you go, hey, that little spur kick, let's go, let's move. That's it. Let us consider how we can kind of, let's go. Come on. What are you doing? Let's go. Well, how do you do that? It says, not forsaking the assembly. There are some things you just got to do face to face. You'd have to be present to do. Not assembling our own assembly together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As the worship band returns, I want to end with this because I don't think we do this very well as Christians. There's a lot of insecurity and fear even amongst those who call themselves followers of Jesus. So I'm just going to read. I don't have it up there. I have the next, um, I have an example uh, when we get to that verse. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. This is in 1 Thessalonians Chapter 4, verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring him, uh, God will bring. Uh, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive, we're included in that, who are left, we're included in that, until the coming of the Lord, it's coming, just want you to know, we will by no means precede those who've died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so that we will be with the Lord forever. If you are new to the Bible or new to Christianity, or you're just kind of like, COVID's freaking me out and I need religion, I understand how difficult this is to believe. I get it. I believe it 100%. I believe Jesus is coming. And so, I don't get nervous about who's in power. Because ultimately, Jesus is going to be in power. Now you think about this. You think, wow, this is Thessalonians, right? This is the first quotings of Thessalonians that we find in history is about 300 A.D. Um, being, being referenced is about 300 A.D., and uh, this is in Thessalonica, which in 1917, basically the entire city burned to the ground. And they had to rebuild, uh, re rebuild it all back up. Paul wasn't con concerned about that. He was concerned about those people. Hey, Jesus is coming back. You're going to spend eternity with him. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Of all the people on the planet, Democrats, Republicans, Raider fans, <laughs> of all the people on the planet, Christian, what are you scared of? Why are you shaming? There's no need to shame. Encourage 
I gave you six ways to do it. My prayer is that you would do all six this week because your heavenly father and Jesus, his son, is encouraging you. I'll give you one last thing before we wrap it up with one song. The word for encourager is paraclete. The word for the Holy Spirit is paraclete. When you encourage, you are doing the very work of God. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that you gave us this weapon of our mouth that can be beaten into a plowshare. Lord, do that. Set a guard over the door of our lips. Keep watch over our mouth, Lord God, so that the words that we speak would be words of life, the very words of Jesus. Amen. I wanted to uh, just read something I got this week as an example. Uh, we'll just call the person Lauren just to whatever, pick a name. This was something that a student got. I think she's in the second grade, something like that. Hello. We wanted to reach out because Lauren, we'll call her, is doing such a great job in the second grade this year. She always comes to class so excited to learn and does a great job participating in class as well as completing assignments without getting off task or distracted. This is exactly the opposite of what any of my teachers would have written for me. She's so sweet and she gets along very well with her classmates. We have loved having her this year. Tell her to keep up the good work. The second grade team. That's how you do it. And now, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray you would go with his encouragement, with his peace, and with his strength, so that you can encourage others in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.